Second Timothy chapter 2, continuing in this epistle. And we're going to be re- looking at the first 13 verses. Last week we thought about um, the letter and how it was written by Paul in prison. And Jim gave us a very uh, detailed description of what that prison would be like. Uh, he was coming towards the end of his life and he's writing to Timothy. And rather than being concerned about his own uh, dire situation, he is concerned about Timothy and other Christians living that he is wanting to encourage. And this letter is written from Paul to Timothy. And Timothy himself is quite a timid man. He, he reckoned he suffered from ailments. Um, he wasn't the strongest individual. And he needed encouragement because there were things happening within his um, church that perhaps wasn't the easiest thing to deal with. So he did need encouragement. So Paul is writing this letter um, out of love to his son um, and encouraging him and giving him some directions as well. So we're going to read the first 13 verses of chapter 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will be able to, sorry, who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather the, tries to please the commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crop. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here's a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. It starts off with uh, that, those words in my translation. Anyway. It says, now then, my son. It's as if Paul's wanting to grab the attention of Timothy. He wants to say to him, I've got something very important to say to you, Timothy, and I want you to listen to what I'm saying. Now then, my son. And we believe that scripture is not just written at the time for the benefit of Timothy, but very much for our benefit today as well. And I believe God would say to us this morning, now then, my sons and my daughters, I've got something important to say to you. I want your attention. I want you to listen carefully to what I'm going to say because it is important for you and for the lives of those who you're responsible for and you, you meet with. And Paul is saying to Timothy, there's a couple of tasks that I've got in mind for you. There's things you need to do. I'm coming towards the end of my life. I've served the Lord well. But I've got now something I'm going to pass on to you. The first one is I want you to teach what is right. Teach good things. Teach sound doctrine. Teach to those people in the churches that have been established. And share that word with them. In verse 13 of chapter 1 it says, What you heard from me, keep 
is in the pattern of sound teaching with faith and loving Christ Jesus. That pattern of sound teaching, Jim mentions in the morning about the breaking of bread, the pattern of the breaking of bread. And throughout the time that Paul was here, he taught and wrote and spoke about the things of the Lord. And Timothy would be a beneficiary of that. He would have heard a lot of that. He would heard hear Paul talking about how the church should be structured, the leadership, how people should behave in the church, how salvation, what it means to have salvation, and how to live as Christians in a difficult world. So all of this sound doctrine was being passed on, and Timothy would have benefited from it. And Paul's now saying to him, I want you to carry on with that teaching. I want you to make sure that teaching remains sound and is, is well received. He also talks about the fact that you need to pass this message on to other people for them to do that work as well. I don't know about you, but I believe we've probably got a, a missing generation in this country in that a lot of people of a certain age have brought, been brought up in the church and for whatever reason they have drifted away or they've stayed within the church in a very lukewarm way, if you know what I mean. They've lost that vision, they've lost that passion. They've perhaps been attracted to situations where churches, you go and you go there to receive something for a while and then go on with the rest of your week. But the idea of actually contributing towards the service of the Lord is not one that's very common nowadays. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but it's I just feel that that is as happened as that missed generation. Pam and I spent a few days in Helmsburg this week, and we stayed with this um, elderly gentleman, 93 years old, who's served the Lord for nearly 80 years. He took us to his church on Wednesday lunchtime. They have a, a midweek service, and we, we gather with about 15 to 20 people. I don't know if it's good news or not, but I think I was probably the youngest person in that room, right? And that says something, doesn't it? Now, I know that was a, not a cross-section of that church because it was midweek lunchtime. But that's true in many places, isn't it? That the age of Christians is becoming, the average age is becoming older. There's a missing generation. And Paul is saying to Timothy, you've got to find people that you can trust who can pass on this message today. And I believe that is a word that is relevant for us today that we need to find people that we can trust who can take on this word that God has passed on to Paul, to Timothy, and now to us. I don't know if you're familiar with a book called The Heavenly Man. It was written by a Christian called Brother Yun, a Chinese Christian. And he, it's not that long ago actually, it's about 30 years ago when I think this happened, but he suffered greatly for his faith in China. He was preaching, he was sharing the gospel, and every time he was doing it, he was being uh, punished and several times went into prison. One of the sad things that happened while he was doing that is that the Western church asked, what can we do to help you? And he says, we don't want that kind of help. Because he knew the Western church had lost its way. It had become lukewarm. It was like the church of Laodicea. It thought it was rich, but it was poor. This is what he says when he eventually was able to travel a bit more. He says, 
Before I travelled to the West, I had absolutely no idea that so many churches were spiritually asleep. I presumed the Western church was strong and vibrant because it brought the gospel to my country with such incredible faith and tenacity. Many mysteries had shown a powerful example to us by laying down their lives for the sake of Jesus. On some occasions I've struggled while speaking in Western churches. There seems to be something missing that leaves me feeling terrible inside. Many meetings are cold and lack the fire and presence of God that we have in China. In the West, many Christians have an abundance of material possessions, yet they live in a backslidden state. They have silver and gold, but they don't rise up and walk in Jesus' name. That's powerful. You know, here's a man who suffered for the Lord, who had been to prison. And I imagine many people in the West might have been praying for him. But when he got out, and when he travelled, he was so disappointed at the state of churches in the Western world. And I think that's a challenge for us today, isn't it? We do see missing generations, I believe. Now, they may have moved for different reasons or, or fallen away for different reasons, but it's a fact we have to face up to. But there's a new generation, and we have to be asking ourselves, what can we do to be involved, to be a part of this work that God has for us? Now, it talks here about passing it on to someone who can teach trusted teachers of the word but I believe it's more than that it's every one of us has a role to play in serving the Lord if we flick over a couple of pages you'll find in Titus when Paul's writing there in chapter 2 he says you however must teach what's appropriate to sound doctrine that's how he starts off he's talking about sound doctrine and yet when we read these verses they're very practical verses about how we can all get involved in serving the Lord it says Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what's good in your teaching. Show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves, or perhaps employees, we might say, to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show they can be fully trusted, so in every way they will make the teaching about God our saviour attractive every one of us is involved in this work that God is wanting us to do and we need to perhaps confess that there has been a time of lethargy and inactivity and Paul is stirring up Timothy in this letter and he's stirring us up today and saying I want you to take on this task not only of teaching the word yourself but of passing that on to others and that is true of each one of us today and he talks about the gospel remember Jesus and that is one of the prime purposes of Paul was to preach the gospel that's why he was arrested so many times to preach the gospel and we must maintain that gospel truth we do that faithfully each week and we would be encouraged to carry on doing that not every church will preach the gospel 
Not every church will remember the Lord. Churches in this country have moved in different directions and we find ourselves in the middle of um, apathy and, and a consensus of, of views that we don't always agree with. But God wants us to be strong and to stand firm in that situation and to continue with that gospel. But he says to Timothy, if you're going to do this, you're going to have to be strong. Physically, you're quite weak. You have problems around you within your church. But you're going to have to be strong. But he says, not strong in yourself, not strong in Paul, not strong in anyone else, but strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was the grace of our Lord Jesus that saved you. He has led you into this work. And he is the one that you can trust to carry on doing that work through you. He is the one that can give you that strength. And God is saying the same thing to us today. We're not trusting in ourselves. We look at ourselves and I am not capable of doing that. It's not my gift. It's not something I'm very comfortable with. Or I need to rely on other people. No, God is saying, trust in me. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's where our strength will come from. Do you remember Caleb, the one of the 12 um, spies who were sent into Canaan to check it out before they went into the land? And he went into the land, and I remember they saw um, people that looked like giants. And they saw all sorts of things in that land. They brought back fruit that they'd seen. And then they were asked to give an account of what they saw, the 12 spies. And this is Caleb speaking in Joshua chapter 14, he says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. He brought back a report according to his convictions. He had a strong conviction of what the Lord could do. The people around him, my fellow Israelites who went with me, made the hearts of the people sink. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. What an example of someone who has said, I'm going to do these things in the strength of the Lord. I'm going to have a conviction in amongst a situation in society, even within churches, which seem to be more of a consensus rather than a conviction. I'm going to have that strong conviction. And I'm going to give my life wholeheartedly to the Lord. That's a wonderful word, isn't it? Wholeheartedly. Hard to describe, but I think we know what it means. It's just, there's nothing going to stop us doing it. Nothing at all is going to stop us serving the Lord in this way. And Joshua, Caleb's mate, he also, um, we find that in chapter 31 of Deuteronomy, says that Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I am 120 years old. I'm no longer able to lead you. And in verse 7 it says, Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him, In the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with his people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it up among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. 
Here was a handing over, wasn't it? Moses was reached to the end of his life. He'd led the, the people for many years. And now he's passing on the baton to Joshua. So it's a similar situation to Paul and Timothy. Paul is handing over the baton to Timothy. And we could echo those words of Moses. Be strong and courageous. The Lord, he goes before you and he is with you. There's nothing that's going to surprise the Lord in what you're going to face tomorrow or the next day. He knows what is going to happen. And Paul is saying to Timothy, you've got to be strong like that. You've got to be strong and courageous and trust in God who knows, we're thinking this morning about how he knows exactly what we are. He knows us better than ourselves. He knows what strength we need. He knows what we need to face the future. Is this the same God today? Sometimes we can read the Bible and we think, that's an amazing thing that God does. He does such amazing things. The way he led the children of Israel out, the way that he took them across the Red Sea. And all those incidents that we read of and how he strengthened Joshua and Caleb. But we do believe, don't we? It's the same God. It is the same God. So if it's the same God, surely he does the same thing today. He is able to take us in all our weakness, because these people we read about in the Bible, they were not strong people, physically strong or in human terms. He took them and he used them. And God is the same God today who can take you and me with all of our weaknesses, all of our uncertainties, and he can take us and say, be strong in me, be courageous, be bold. Do things which I'm asking you to do, which people around you might actually laugh at you for doing because it's so bold, but do it because I'm asking you to do it. People may find it, make it difficult for you because you're teaching things which they don't agree with. Be bold, be a man of woman of conviction. Not of consensus. He then gives some encouragements and direction for Timothy by giving some examples of how to put this into practice, how to be strong and courageous, and uses three images. It would be good to have a soldier and an athlete and a farmer here this morning to so sort of have them in front of you. We've only got myself as the athlete, I'm afraid. Excuse me? <laughs> right. But he takes these three images and he says, first of all, you're going to have to be totally committed to this work. If you're going to do what I'm asking you to do, you're going to be totally committed. Just as a soldier is committed to his job, he will obey his commanding officer. Every word that comes out of that commanding officer's mouth, he will obey it. He is committed, totally committed. He is not sidetracked by other things. What's the biggest thing that sidetracks us today? The mobile phone. You cannot see a soldier on the front line, can you? Being issued orders, gets a beep on his phone and says, excuse me, I've got to take this, it's quite important. You can't imagine the commanding officer say, that's okay. He's going to say, no, we have got a priority here, we've got things to do. And how easily are we are sidetracked, sidetracked, aren't we? We're doing something and we get sidetracked and we think, these things are more important. No, they're not. If we're serious about God and his work, we have to do this with absolute commitment to his word, absolute commitment to the task that he's asked us to do. 
We also have to be disciplined. It talks about an athlete, how an athlete is disciplined, how they get up each morning early to train. The swimmer who gets up at five o'clock to do two hours of swimming before going to work. These things are disciplined. They have to be a discipline to be able to do it. You cannot just sort of say, well, I'll see how I feel in the morning. And we need to be disciplined. And it also tells us we need to do it within the rules. We need to obey the rules. An athlete, we've all read about athletes who have tried to cheat taking drugs or marathon runners who get on the bus halfway around. These things, they're cheating. And God is saying, don't cheat. Obey the rules. What I mean by that is, you know, when you're on your own, it's actually quite easy to think, well, I can do this and disobey because nobody knows, right? And if they ask me, I'll just tell them I didn't do it. But God knows, doesn't he? God knows exactly what we're thinking. So obey the rules. Be obedient to the Lord Jesus. Be disciplined and determined. And then he uses the farmer to say, this is, this is going to be hard work. Let's not pretend. When we're serving the Lord, it's going to be hard work. Whatever he's asking us to do this morning, whatever work he's got in mind for us, it's going to be tough. The farmer has to work long hours. He has to prepare the ground. You can't just stand there and look at the field and say, well, we'll see what happens this year. And all the weeds grow. That's easy for us to do as well, isn't it? Let's just look ahead and we'll see what happens this year. We'll just wait and see how it develops. And during that year, we see these weeds growing up and choking the work and the fruit. The farmer has to prepare the land and sow the seed. And then there's a patience required to wait for that seed to grow and fruit to come. And we need to be hard workers, working hard for the Lord and be patient because sometimes we don't always see immediate fruit, do we? Sometimes the work for the Lord can be disappointing. We can gather a group together to do a Bible study and only two people turn up and we get discouraged. Or we preach the gospel week after week and we don't see people being saved and we get discouraged. But God is saying, be strong. Be courageous. Keep going. Keep being bold. Keep doing what you're meant to do. And the fruit will come. Be patient. Timothy had to be strong. And we all have to be strong in the work that he's giving us to do. And then he finishes off this section with what's really a hymn or a song and gives a bit of encouragement to Timothy as he goes about this work that he's asking him to do. And he says that if we endure, if we keep going, endurance is important, isn't it? Keep going. It's sometimes easy to, to give up after a while. And we've seen it, haven't we, in, in fellow believers who've given up because they've struggled with various things. But endure to the end. Keep going. And he will also reign with, we will also reign with him. And that's an encouragement for us again. Just, just keep going. Encourage one another. Encourage each other in the work that we're doing. And then finally it says, in verse if we are faithless, he remains faithful. There are times when um, we, we all go through a bad patch. And I think it's good that we, we acknowledge that. I think it's good that we recognize that, that these things do happen. But we have a God who is faithful to the end. He will never 
let us down. We may let him down, and we do, but he is faithful. And he wants us to, to come back to him, to, to be restored. And we want to restore those who have perhaps we've seen who have backslidden. Restore them. And for them to understand that God is a faithful God. He will, he will be faithful to the end. So he says to Timothy, be encouraged by these things. The work's going to be hard. I set out before you what I want you to do. I want you to find people to, to help you in the work. He's saying that to us today. I'm setting before you what I want you to do. I want to preach, teach sound doctrine. I want you to be involved, each one of you, in part of what you should be doing, whether you're an old person, a young person, uh, a woman or a man. I've got something for you to do. I want you to do that. I want you to be strong in doing that because you're going to need strength. But the strength that you have comes from the Lord. It's not your own strength. Rely on him because salvation comes from the Lord. We don't have salvation because of anything we do. And equally, we cannot do work for the Lord unless we trust in the Lord Jesus. And when we endure, he will endure as well. And when we're faithful, he will be faithful. But even if we're not faithful, praise the Lord, he is faithful to us. For his name's sake. Let's pray. Dear God and Father, we just thank you for your word, which is um, inspired by you and uh, it's, it challenges us. We thank you for what you say to uh, Timothy at the time and now to us. And we just pray that you'd help us to understand what you're saying to us individually and as a group. Help us to know the work that you have in mind for us. Forgive us for the times that we are slack, that we are slow, that we are perhaps um, complacent. And help us to have that boldness. We think of Caleb and Joshua and how they were inspired to be um, wholehearted in your work. Help us to do that, we pray. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus and for the strength that he gives us we thank you for the salvation we have. We thank you for all that you do for us, that you're with us in every step of the way. And we pray that all that we do might be to the glory of our Lord Jesus, as we ask it in his precious name. Amen.